Hello and welcome to Journal Sessions on the Bold Love Podcast with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. Journal Sessions is a weekly podcast that features a look inside Pastor Bob's journal on the things that he is thinking deeply and praying deeply about, among some stories along his journey. And on this week's Journal Sessions on the Bold Love Podcast, Pastor Bob talks through how people in their 20s and 30s need to be thinking about their ministry during the retirement age right now and how to prepare for fruitful ministry and relevance in old age. Take a listen. I want to talk to you today about retirement. And this is really for those of you that are in your 20s and 30s. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by that. Pastors don't make a lot of money for the most part, especially if you're a church planter. Uh, and, And then they get so used to paying you so little your salary can stay way low for a long time. I, I know. And so how do you get ready for a retirement? My dad was a pastor, and I would watch these older pastors as he got older. They didn't have anything. They didn't have houses, didn't have cars, didn't have clothes. I mean, they were in a mess. Most pastors pastor very small churches. In the average size, I think, of a church in America is less than 100 So just let that sink in. And many of those pastors are there full time. And so you can say retirement, but what does that mean? But I once heard a guy say that if you would save 10% of whatever you made, put it in your retirement, have 10% uh, emergency fund, and give 10% to God, and live on 70%, you could wind up retiring at the level you were living at. Now, it may not be uh, a rich level, but you'd make it to the end of your life. And so sometimes better than other times, but I followed that principle. Didn't always follow it perfectly, but I followed it. I always gave at least 10% to our church, maybe more. Always put 10% in my retirement, sometimes less. And that 10% fund to save for the emergency fund, well, that was maybe 2 to 5%. But it's the thought that counts. But now I'm 65 years old, and I still have a lot of work to do with my retirement at 65. But I can't imagine where I would be today had I not started doing that when I was 24 years of age. I'd be in a mess. Now, like I said, I've still got a ways to go in order to make everything work. But the reality is, if you start early, you can do anything. Now, how are you going to retire? But I don't want to just talk money. I want to talk ministry. You can build a case. Is there really a such thing as retirement for the follower of Jesus? I mean, tell that to Moses. Tell it to Jeremiah. Tell it to Abraham. Tell it to Paul. I mean, I don't read any stories of People retiring. God did call Abraham, maybe out of retirement. Not long ago, I had a pastor call me. He said, Bob, I want to work in the world like you. How do I do that? They're about to retire. They're about to leave their church. Uh, This wasn't the first pastor who's called me and told me that. And it really made me sad because a lot of pastors have the idea, I'm just going to preach here in America, grow my church, and have a great ministry. And then when it's over, I'm going to go work around the world. I'm going to do a bunch of stuff. Good luck with that. 
See, what those guys are really saying is not how do I work around the world, but how do I get to preach around the world? Well, I don't preach around the world except for mosques. And I don't know that's something you can just pass out a bunch of brochures and some imams are going to invite you to speak at their mosque. You're going to have to have relationships and a lot of other things for that to happen. See, what we do, we build our ministries on skills instead of wisdom. And those are two different things. If you build your ministry on skill, and I would submit to you, preaching is a skill. It's not your identity. You preach the gospel. You're called to preach. Your identity is not preacher. It's a function. It's a role. It's a skill. It's something that you learn to do. Every year I would read a different book on preaching, trying to improve and be a better preacher. But wisdom, discernment, that's a very different thing. It's an incredible book that Arthur Brooks just wrote, well, last year. It's called Strength to Strength. It's the idea that as you get older, your strength, your skill sets, and your cognitive ability towards uh, execution is tougher. But on the flip side of that, your wisdom, your discernment, your ability to understand things and people really grows. And, and what he says, he builds the case for throughout your life, build your wisdom so that as you get older, when you shift, you still are going to be effective. I would submit to you the way to retire in the ministry, if you're a pastor or some other ministry spot, is not to wait until you retire and then figure out what you're going to do, but start doing things early on that require wisdom and skill, and you will always be relevant. You won't be able to do everything people ask you to do. Right now, I've been over the top busy, having to say no to a lot of different things. But it's not because people are asking me for skills. They want insight. How do we deal with this? How do we deal with that? And so I want you to think like you do financially in retirement. What do they say? Start early so you won't wind up in a mess when you're older. I want you to think of ministry that way. Because if you don't, then you don't have anything to do. Because trust me, the world has hundreds of thousands of preachers, and they're not waiting for another American preacher to come preach around the world. And there's not enough pulpits to supply for everybody to get to preach. But my word, if you're in the ministry, you have some gifts, some, some things that go far beyond your skill set. And if you will embrace them, you'll always be relevant. People will always want to work with you. So how do you do that? I wound up with some skill. With not Well, maybe there are skill sets, but they're not tools. They're not skills as much as they are. I wound up learning about some things I didn't plan on because I got thrust into some unique situations. And, and instead of asking, are you getting wise? Let me tell you four things that you can do in ministry that if you'll start doing them now, they'll just keep growing 
and you'll have to be telling people no to the day you die. Are you ready? Number one, raising up sons and daughters in the ministry. Raising up sons and daughters in the ministry. Now, I didn't plan on raising up sons and daughters in the ministry. I have a lot of people who call me their spiritual father, but I never had a go. I want to be a spiritual father. As a matter of fact, I remember the first time someone called me a spiritual father. I was in my 40s and I wanted to gag. It upset me. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be a spiritual father, man. I wanted to be a player. That sounded secondary to me. Who wants to father a bunch of people? Who wants to listen to other people's problems? I want to change the world for Jesus, not help you change it. Ah, and there's the problem. We need people who are willing to mentor others. But there were some things I did that led to spiritual fathering and mothering. Here's what I did. Number one, everybody who accepted Christ in the early days, I discipled them one-on-one. I took them through this little book Ralph Neighbors wrote called The Survival Kit, And then once they got through with that, then I would give them a Bonhoeffer book or something like that. I'd meet with them and I'd I'd get them walking with with Jesus and help them get on their feet. And, And what I was doing was raising up sons and daughters, but I didn't realize it. And then I did something else. We started training church planters, and I'd help them get on their feet and encourage them and help fund them and and mentor them. And when they had problems, I would be there. And, And a lot of those guys today are in their 50s, and they call me. One called me today. Hey, Bob, how you doing? I was missing you. Just wanted to check on you. Oh, by the way, Bob, I need to ask you a question about something. And hey, if you have any time... Could you come out here and, hey, yeah, I'd like for you to preach on a Sunday and you could spend the day with me and help me work through this thing. I didn't realize I was being a spiritual parent, and I didn't even want to be. To me, that was secondary, but that's because I had a Texas view of the ministry. I'm going to change it. We don't need anybody else. But what I realized was we need a lot of people to change the world. So we were raising up different people. So here's my question to you. Who are you pouring into? Who are you discipling? That means you've got to be leading people to faith in Christ. That means that those people are going to be there for a long time. And it's true. You lead a lot of people to the Lord. They're not going to make it. They're not going to stick it out. A lot of them are. Who are you pouring into? When you do that, when it's more than just, you and your buddies, and y'all are talking about what you're going to preach and what your ministry is. When you're raising up other preachers, you'll always be relevant. I think about Moody. Did you know that when he went into the ministry, uh, he, he wasn't good with the English, he even stuttered. And at one point, he, he makes, he in, in his biography, I was reading, uh, somebody had said that he said, Lord, maybe I can't raise up or maybe I can't lead millions, or maybe I can't lead a lot of people to faith in Christ, but I pray that with what I do in training these Sunday school kids, many of them will wind up becoming the preachers to reach the world. And yet God wound up using Moody, but out of Moody's ministry came hundreds, thousands of preachers and people that he was poured into in the ministry. Here's the second thing that'll keep you relevant throughout your old age. Be a peacemaker. I did a podcast on peacemaking a year or so ago. You can listen to it. How do you be a peacemaker? What's involved in a peacemaker? I'm not going to go into all that, but peacemakers are always relevant. We don't value that in evangelical Christianity. We don't even like the word peace. We think that's liberal. 
peacemaker. It was the prince of peace. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let that sink in. We want to evangelize people. We don't want to be peacemakers. Being a peacemaker, according to Jesus and, and the scriptures, was not just helping people make peace with God, but peace with one another. Peacemaking is a lifestyle. Where do you see people broke? So few people want to enter those phrases. I remember when we desegregated our church intentionally. Gradually, it had been happening because of all the inner city work that we had done and so forth. And, and you know, I had to get up when I would preach. Sometimes I didn't realize how things would come across. I thought I was saying something really cool, and it would wind up being offensive. And so I had to learn to say, forgive me. I'm sorry. I apologize. I didn't know what that meant. A lot of people don't want to be a peacemaker because they don't want to make mistakes. So, man, I'd just rather not even touch that or be involved with that. But you don't have that option. You've been called by Jesus to be a peacemaker. So many great verses. I love James 3. I think it's 17 or 18. It's a harvest of righteousness that comes with peace. One of the Psalms says there's a future for a man of peace. So many powerful passages on peace. So, so what does it mean? It has to be your lifestyle. So where you see those divisions, your question is, what would it be like to get those people together? It's a lifestyle. It's also about relationships. You know, there are so few peacemakers. When someone sees you bring people together and build peace between two different groups, you know what they'll do? They'll start calling on you all the time. I remember the first time I was brought into a geopolitical issue to deal with peacemaking. I declined. I said, no, I don't know about that. Now, think about that. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. I'm being asked to deal with peacemaking on a specific issue that has nothing to do with religion in another country. And no, I'm not going to do that. What an opportunity. What a door. But that's not preaching, but it is peacemaking. Man, when you make help people make peace with one another, do you realize all the doors it opens for you to share the gospel, to talk about Jesus, all the questions people begin to ask you? And just in the last year, I've been involved in two very significant issues around the world. So it's a lifestyle. It's the relationships that you have. Once again, there's so few peacemakers that when somebody hears, boy, they can help you in that place. They're asking you to. Peacemaking, it's also about reading moments. Sometimes you wind up in a moment. we got to do something with this. There's so many opportunities to make peace. I look at our country and all the racial issues that are going on right now, and how divided we are and how polarized we are and how we see things different. And sometimes when there's a crisis that happens and we get at one another's throats, instead of arguing, we ought to view it as, okay, how can we be peacemakers in this? What can we learn from it? What, what, what needs to happen? Peacemaking is a moment. And here's what happens. Peacemaking is credibility. I mean, they've got to know that you love them, that you care about them, and, and then that you're willing to go beyond Whatever it takes to see peace happen. And you have the ability to help get people in the room and talk about things and come up with solutions others can. And peacemaking is one of those skills. Frankly, it just gets better as you get older. Yeah, I've read some books on peacemaking, but I'm telling you, if you love people, 
you can see the good in all people. Yeah, don't worry. I believe in total depravity. But there is also good in there. Total depravity doesn't mean that you're as bad as you can be. There's some good that's there from the goodness of God, from who he is. And you understand that you can bring hope and you can listen really good. And you're just going to get better and better and better at peacemaking. And you'll do more difficult things. I'm about to be involved in something that is viewed as impossible. Maybe the hardest thing I've ever done. And it's not going to happen quick. But I'm going to learn a lot. I'm going to experience a lot. Peacemaker, being a peacemaker is about people who bring transformation. Third thing you can do that will keep you alive way into your retirement where you're always going to be relevant is bridge building. Uh, peacemaking is helping people get along and move forward. But bridge building is also important. Sometimes in bridge building, all you need to do is to bridge people, bridge a situation. You know, I love Muslims. I, I Probably more Muslims know who that I am than Christians do. No joke. I walked into a mosque the other night, one of the most prominent mosques in America. I was there for an iftar, and all these people ran over to me. Pastor Bob, Pastor Bob. I said, there he is. Had all these Muslims, these men and women coming over to talk to me and thank me for the work that, that I do and so forth. I used to be scared to death of Muslims. And now Imam Majid is probably one of the three best friends I have on the face of the earth. What would it look like bridge building people of other religions, bridge building in race, bridge building between nations? Vietnam has not been a country that's been known for peacemaking, but they had such an incredible experience, even though it was a failed summit, at getting the people to come together. Their whole foreign policy shifted, at least for a year. Maybe it's still there. I don't know. But one of the tenets of it is they want to be known as a bridge-building nations to get people to come together and then make peace. So there's the ability to be a bridge-builder. I'll never forget where church had worked in Vietnam for 15 years. And after 15 years, I was visiting with one of the Vietnamese ambassadors. And he made a comment. He said, we're grateful for all that you've worked, that you've done in humanitarian and medical and education and, and microfinance and everything else. But do you know what you've really done, Bob? You've helped people see us for who we are as Vietnamese. He was right. I didn't plan on it. I didn't realize we were the best PR they had. Do I agree with Vietnam on everything? No way. They don't agree with me on everything. But to get people in the room together, to get to talking together, to build those unlikely relationships so there's collaboration goes a long way. Here's a fourth thing I would say. So discipling sons and daughters. That's about multiplication. Peacemaking, that's about transformation. Bridge building, it's about relationships. Here's the last one. Practical, global, global and local, global engagement. That's serving everybody. And, and when you just serve church people, I don't know you're going to have that much of a runway after retirement, but when you serve everybody, and you're deeply involved in the community, different ball game. Your agenda should be your city right now. 
and your nation. It ought to be more than just your church and your Sunday sermon. You have a far bigger agenda than just Sunday and just your church. But when you mobilize those members to serve the community and you get involved in the challenges and the, and the struggles in your community and you're speaking to those issues and you're serving other people, do you think they're going to quit asking you for advice or to be involved? No way. I get calls all the time. I, I can't do everything I'm asked to do with that. And what you're also saying is the gospel of Jesus Christ for me means that I'm a blessing to you. And so you bring value to the public square, just like Paul. So you have the ability to engage. So I don't want you to wind up when you're 65 or 60 or 70, whenever that number is for you. I don't want you to wind up one day when your time is over being a senior pastor. You know, Man, what am I going to do? I wonder who wants to hear me preach. Where can I go preach? Uh-uh. That's not going to prepare you for a fruitful ministry. You can actually have a more fruitful ministry after you retire than you did in your single ministry throughout your whole life if you'll do those four things. So go ahead right now. Start discipling, raising people up. Start helping people make peace. Bridge building, do bridge building with people that we get nervous about, we're uncomfortable with. Serve your city. You'll be busy. Did you know that in the Hebrew scriptures, in the temple, you were first a mentor, and then when you became 30, you served as a priest. And when you were 50, you were no longer a priest. From 50 on, you were supposed to be a counselor to the priests that were in the priesthood. That was somebody that was raising people up. So I want to challenge you to do that. And then you'll wind up busier than you've ever been before, more fulfilled than you've ever been. But you got to start doing this in your 20s or your 30s. Are you going to wind up broke? Thank you so much for joining us for journal sessions with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. on the Bold Love Podcast. If you were impacted by this conversation, we would like to ask a favor. First, if you found this episode impactful, please share it on social media and recommend it to a friend. Second, like most podcasts, we are able to make these impactful conversations happen with support from partnering organizations and individuals like you. If you felt led to support these type of conversations, you can do so now and give at support.boldlovepodcast.com. Whether it's a single gift or a monthly donation, we are so thankful for you. For more information on this podcast, show notes, and any other references, you can go to boldlovepodcast.com to get all the information there. We appreciate you joining us. And remember on the Bold Love Podcast, we encourage you to live out your faith boldly, learn how to better love your neighbor, and learn how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. See you next time.